2: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
3: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying?, what is Chen selling? With regard to Chen's newsletter, you do need to put your name on a waiting list. Uh, and to do that, you need to go to miningstocks.com. Miningstocks.com. Uh, you need to put your name on a waiting list to sign up for Chen's letter if you're interested in doing so because he accepts new subscribers only during the first 10 business days of each calendar quarter. So coming up pretty soon uh, in June, we will be accepting... Uh, new subscribers to Chen's newsletter. You can go to uh, to miningstocks.com to sign up for my newsletter anytime. Uh, and uh, again, that's miningstocks.com, or you can call our office here in New York during regular business hours in New York at seven one eight four five seven. 1426 718 457 1426. Want to thank each of you for listening to this show and I would like to invite you to keep your questions and comments coming to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. That's questions the number four Taylor at gmail.com. I'd like to also to invite you to follow me on Twitter, and that is at um uh, J Taylor Media. That handle is at J Taylor Media um, as well. Um I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Caden Resources, Canamex Resources, Go Gold Resources, and Uranium Energy. And next week we will be—I uh, will be talking to Amir Adnani, the CEO of Uranium Energy Corporation. Uh, uranium is a very interesting metal. I think right now, especially given the uh, the fact that the supplies that were coming from the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, are now nearing an end, and also, of course, given the growing tensions between the United States and Russia. Uh, I think uh, this is a very, very interesting fact. The fact that the United States relies very substantially, I think around about 25% of its electricity is generated from nuclear power, and the fact that we only supply something like, uh, four million pounds out of—I I can't remember exactly the numbers—maybe fifty million pounds a year that we consume. Anyway, it's a very small percentage of production of U three hundred eight comes from the United States. Well, Uranium Energy Corporation is one of the few—one uh, of the few new. Uranium producers in the United States, and it is a growing, uh, ver- very uh, growing, very rapidly. Uh, Amir Adnani will be here to talk about that, and I suspect also have some comments on uh, the prospects for the uranium markets as we uh, as we go forward. Well, let's get to today's show. We do have a very full schedule, so uh, from uh, so we want to get moving. Uh, towards our our first uh, interview. From the very first show we did back in March of 2009, I had uh, Ed Griffin on. He's the author of, I think, one of the most important books you'll ever read called The Creature from Jekyll Island. Ever since then, we've talked about how the U.S. government is manipulating markets and deceiving the American people for the gain... And wealth, a gain of wealth and power in the hands of a very small number of elitists who actually own and control the Federal Reserve and I think in essence the U.S. government. And for the kind of complete control, for that kind of complete control to exist, it is definitely necessary that the American people... Uh, be kept in the dark. If Americans really knew what was going on behind the scenes, uh, they would have no choice, in my view, but to stage a revolution. Well, I guess they could live in uh, in in poverty, growing poverty, which in, in fact is what is happening to us. Uh, but uh, the action that really causes inflation and deflation and wars and rumors of wars have been taken out of the hands of the American people, unbeknownst to them, and that's so that those Who are in control can continue to uh, profit and gain their political power as a result. Uh, I've titled today's show: "Are the Gold Cartels' Days Numbered? Is the Dollar Doomed?" And one of the most important markets to be manipulated, I think, in in order to keep the Americans in the dark, is the gold market. Alan Greenspan himself acknowledged that in his 1966 article titled Gold and Economic Freedom. The ability to wage wars which the neocons are always pushing America towards was made possible only by Nixon taking us off the gold standard in 1971. That way, the American people could be silently taxed through inflation and through the redistribution of wealth and through endless amounts of uh, government debt. Uh, It is uh, the neocons that I talked to Daniel McAdams about. Uh, Daniel is of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Daniel is with me almost every week. He will not be with me this week. But we talked to Daniel about the neocons. And it is really those folks that probably as much as anybody have pushed and really do not want to see a gold standard or an honest monetary standard because it would remove their ability to enrich themselves through endless wars. And so today we're going to take a little closer look at the neocons and and find out who they are. And to help us do that, Arthur Thompson, he's of the John Birch Society, Uh, I think he makes it very, very crystal clear uh, in a clip that we are going to play for you as soon as we come back in another minute or so from our first commercial break. Then following Arthur Thompson, I will be speaking with German-born and raised Dimitri Speck, who has written a book titled The Gold Cartel. Dimitri will talk about how the Fed and other central banks manipulate the price of gold and what their motives for doing so are. And I don't think that you can really afford to miss Dimitri. He had been with us once before. Uh, But he's going to come back again to talk about what's going on in his book in light of current events uh, in the gold markets. In the second hour of today's show, at jtaylormedia.com, I will air an interview carried out by Greg Hunter of Watchdog USA, in which he talks to Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. And Roberts provides evidence that the Fed is once again using a new means of lies and deceit in the markets to keep interest rates low. Dr. Roberts provides very strong evidence that the Fed may actually be increasing, not decreasing, its purchase of treasuries and doing so through the back door by way of Belgium. Uh, This is a very important issue and I think it relates directly also to the need to manipulate the gold price. And if you're stimulating the economy with endless amounts of money creation, that should be driving gold much higher and no doubt would be. Uh, And, uh, of course, if Bernanke were truly, or if uh, Janet Yellen were not truly, uh, if if she were truly reducing the stimulus, then we should start to see interest rates rise. In fact, we've seen interest rates fall, uh, even as the tapering is supposed to be taking place. Also in the second hour, uh, and then regarding, uh, we will be exploring the political sleight of hand. We've talked about the sleight of hand by the Fed, both in the interest rate markets as well as the gold markets. But Abby Martin, anchor of Russian television, that's also known as RT for short, uh, she will talk about how she was threatened by Rand Paul, of all people, when she asked him some serious questions about how he could possibly support Mitt Romney for president. When he uh, Romney is clearly in the grasp of the Bilderberg Group, Abby will also explain that RT is more credible now than the U.S. mainstream media, even though it is, in fact, supported by the Russian government. Very, uh, very upfront about that—it's the Russian government. But she'll point out that, in fact, uh, no one is really asking who is supporting and who is behind the American mill, the American uh, media, uh, who supports and who finances the American media. Well, perhaps it's those very neocons that like to see wars, endless wars fought for the sake of profit. Could be also the bankers. Um, well, whoever that is, the point is that Americans aren't asking. You simply uh, look at Russia and say, well, the Russian government is financing RT, RT so no need to listen to it. Uh, they couldn't be telling us the truth. And then we assume that our media is uh, completely forthright and truthful. Uh, We do have, as I say, a very full schedule, so let's get to our first break, and as soon as we come back, Arthur Thompson will explain who the warmongering neocons are, and because these people are so dogmatically against honest money, I think it is most important that you know who they are and what they are trying to accomplish, uh, not to defend you, but in fact to pick your pockets, so don't go away, we'll be right back with Arthur Thompson.
4: Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt.
1: Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000 meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58 meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE market-listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex, and NYSE-listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF. Go Gold Resources, considered a buy by several well-known analysts, is soon to be Mexico's newest gold and silver producer. With two impressive developments. Go Gold's Paral tailings project, with first pour anticipated in May, is expected to produce 1.8 million ounces of silver equivalent per year, generating a steady 12 year cash flow. Santa Gertrudis, a past producing gold mine, could potentially be put back into production by mid 2015. Advancing quickly and led by a team of experienced mine builders, Go Gold is one to watch. the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network.
2: You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four,
3: taylor, at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. In 58 B.C., Marcus Tullus Cicero had an opinion about what poses the greatest risk to a nation, Listen carefully to Cicero's words although they were uttered nearly two thousand seventy-two years ago, I believe they explain exactly what is happening in America today. Cicero wrote, quote, A nation can survive its fools and even the ambitious, but it cannot survive treason from within. An enemy at the gates is less formidable, for he is known and carries his banner openly. But the traitor moves amongst those within the gates freely, his sly whispers rustling through all the alleys, heard in the very halls of government itself. For the traitor appears not a traitor. He speaks in accents familiar to his victims, and he wears their face in their arguments. He appeals to the baseness that lies deep in the hearts of all men. He rots the soul of a nation. He works secretly and unknown in the night to undermine the pillars of the city. He infects the body politic so that it can no longer resist. A murderer is less to fear. The traitor is the plague. Those words again were from Marcus Tullius Cicero, 58 B.C. Now, almost every week I have Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity on this show to talk about American foreign policy and our constant warmongering all over the world. Daniel lays the blame primarily on the shoulders of the neocons who have amassed an enormous amount of power in America. Listen to the following description of who the neocons are from Arthur Thompson.
5: In America, many would say the political system is dominated by two major parties. One side, the left, is the Democrat Party, also known as liberals. On the other, the right, is the Republican Party, also known as conservatives. Over the last several decades, many Americans have been realizing we not only have liberals and conservatives, but those who can be labeled as neoconservatives or neocons. Neocons were originally liberals that defected from the Democrat Party and joined the Republican Party. Those early neocons did not change their views and beliefs. Instead, they began to change the views and beliefs of the Republican Party. This neoconservative perspective has not only crept into American politics, but it has also spread into the mainstream media. Today's media outlets are essential to the neoconservative movement. They have proven very effective in influencing public opinion when it comes to politicians and their views. Politically speaking, neoconservatives sound conservative while campaigning, (laughs) but once safely in office, they do not support the constitutional viewpoint with their votes. For example, an individual may endorse the Second Amendment, but then turns and votes for a policy that would limit our right to bear arms such as the United Nations arms trade treaty. In other words, politicians often say one thing, but then vote completely the opposite. In order to pick out the neoconservatives from the true conservatives, here are some characteristics to look for. Neoconservatives are known for supporting both international organizations, like the United Nations, along with international treaties, such as the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA, as America integrates itself with other nations, both politically and economically, it erodes not only the American economy and job market, but the very principles within our Constitution. Neoconservatives are in favor of preemptive war. This is a type of war that is oftentimes seen by others as an act of aggression, not defense. This can be done through U.S. airstrikes, U.S. troops invading, establishing U.S.-led no-fly zones, or even an all-out war. Although these military actions appear to be initiated by America, they are actually initiated under the authority of the United Nations. Neoconservatives also support the growth of big government. They support larger federal agencies to control major activities in the private sector. Oftentimes, they capitalize on national crises, in order to pass major legislation. This allows them to acquire more government control while monitoring the activities of private citizens. Neoconservatives are often members or linked to the Council on Foreign Relations. The CFR is an influential organization that supports a new world order They achieve this by persuading many high-ranking individuals to support foreign policy issues, such as free trade and other multinational partnerships. Many neoconservatives do not tout their affiliation with the CFR. A good example is former Vice President Dick Cheney. Well, Les, Pete, I want to thank you all for uh, the warm welcome today. I see a lot of uh, old friends in the room. And uh, it's good to be back at the Council on Foreign Relations. As uh, Pete mentioned, I've been a member for a long time and was actually a director for some period of time. I never mentioned that when I was campaigning for re-election back home in Wyoming. Identifying neoconservatives can be difficult because many of their viewpoints appear to be in support of American ideals. However, over time, they generally lead to more government control at home a continual breakdown of the economy and more hostile environments abroad. Understanding who the neoconservatives are is one of the first steps in saving America. Let's begin by taking an in-depth look at the following individuals.
0: Lindsay Olin Graham, lawyer, U.S. Air Force Reserve Colonel, and senior U.S. Senator from South Carolina. Born July 9, 1955, Graham was the first in his family to attend college. Graduating from the University of South Carolina in 1977, he continued on to receive his Juris Doctor from the University of South Carolina School of Law in 1981. By 1982, Graham began his six and a half years of service on active duty as an Air Force lawyer. Upon leaving, Graham joined the South Carolina Air National Guard where he actively served until 1993. Graham then switched to a career in politics. In 1994 he won a seat to the US House of Representatives and after serving four terms in the House, he was elected to the US Senate in 2002. Now serving his second term, Graham still characterizes himself as having conservative values. He promotes himself as a leader in balancing the federal budget, protecting American rights, and opposing amnesty for illegal immigrants. In order to know if Senator Graham is truly conservative, let's examine his stance on preemptive war, international treaties and organizations, involvement with the Council on Foreign Relations, as well as his stance on big government. Since Senator Graham has served in the military and promotes himself as a backer of Friends in Uniform, let's begin with his views on preemptive war. Starting in 2002, shortly after 9 11, Senator Graham voted in favor of using preemptive war against Iraq. Then, in 2005, Graham voted against a bill that would have eventually withdrawn U.S. troops from Iraq. By 2011, While giving a speech at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, Senator Graham once again showed support of preemptive war by saying, 18
6: months ago, uh, it was pretty bleak. The enemy was on the offensive, we were on the defensive, and President Obama's decision to send 30,000 troops uh, into Afghanistan, I think, was correct, and not a moment too soon.
0: This is a small sampling of Graham's early support of preemptive war. The following examples show Senator Graham's neoconservative viewpoint becoming more obvious. So here's what I'm going
6: to do. I'm going to get a bipartisan coalition together. We're going to put together a use of force resolution, allowing our country to use military force. You're insisting on the right to enrich. Given your behavior, you have abandoned that right. One, there is no right. We're not going to give it to you. Once you get them to the table, you let them know what the final deal would look like and say, take this or else.
0: The following example is from 2013 in regards to Syria, which involves both Senator Graham and Senator John McCain. We must change the battlefield equation. Otherwise, you
6: are going to see a regional conflict, the consequences of which we will be paying for a long, long time. And I yield to my colleague from South Carolina. Well, thank you. I would like to add my voice to the president's decision to act, because I think action by the United States and the international community is required.
0: The importance of this example is not just the demonstration of Senator Graham's continual support of preemptive war, but also to highlight his connection with the Council on Foreign Relations through John McCain. Over the past decade Senator Graham has had close ties with longtime CFR member John McCain. Time and time again the two senators can be seen supporting the same issues. One in particular is the idea that the United States should become the policeman of the world. This is not only a viewpoint of the neoconservative movement, but of the CFR as well. When looking at the connection between Graham and McCain, it becomes clear that the CFR has not only influenced McCain, but Graham as well. Now that we know Graham's stance on war and how he aligns himself with the CFR positions, let's move on to foreign entanglements. Many conservatives see foreign entanglements, such as free trade agreements, as harmful to the U.S. economy and job market. Our founding father Thomas Jefferson warned about foreign entanglements in 1801 by saying, I deem one of the essential principles of our government to be peace, commerce, and honest friendship with all nations, entangling alliances with none. This idea has been a guiding principle of many conservatives. Now let's see how Senator Graham has voted. In 2000, Graham voted no on withdrawing from the World Trade Organization. 2006, Graham voted for a free trade agreement with Oman. 2007, Graham voted yes in promoting free trade with Peru. 2011, Graham voted for the United States Korea Free Trade Agreement Implementation Act. 2012, Graham supported the United Nations Law of the Sea Treaty. How are any of the preceding items in favor of the Constitution or America's sovereignty? Graham's voting record in regard to foreign entanglements reinforces his neoconservative viewpoints. If Senator Graham votes as a neoconservative on foreign issues, how do you think he will vote on domestic issues? Let's look at his views and voting record on national security and federal spending. In 2008, Senator Graham voted in favor of the bailout of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, as well as the Troubled Asset Relief Program, which authorized expenditures of $700 billion. 2009, Graham showed continual support of nationalizing banks. 2013, Graham voted to continue U.S. foreign aid to Egypt instead of using the money to repair U.S. bridges and other critical highway infrastructure. Now that we have seen a glimpse of Senator Graham's view on federal spending, let's see his view on national security. In 2001, Senator Graham voted in favor of the Patriot Act and its roving wiretaps. He continued his support again in 2006 and 2011. Although the Patriot Act was signed into law as a means of keeping Americans safe, citizens today are viewing it quite differently when looking at the NSA's blanket monitoring and tracking of American cell phone data Americans are saying it is unacceptable Graham however feels quite differently a prime example was caught on tape in 2013 during a senate appropriations subcommittee hearing when Graham stated I'm a
6: Verizon customer it doesn't bother me one bit for the National Security Administration to have my phone number
0: this is just one more example of how Senator Lindsey Graham supports the neoconservative perspective instead of true conservative values. So what can we as Americans do? For starters, many of us need to remember that politicians are working for we the people. This means the politicians' votes should represent the views of their constituents. Next, we need to make sure politicians are voting for what they say they stand for. This will take some education on your part. However, it is easier today than ever before. One tool that has been very effective in helping voters is the new American magazine's The Freedom Index. This tool will help you find out how your politicians have voted and also give you the reasons as to why their votes were for or against the Constitution. As we become more educated, we need to share that education with others. Find out how constitutional your politicians really are, and then hold them accountable.
3: Well, you have just listened to the words of Arthur Thompson. Uh, He is the CEO of the John Birch Society. And I know that some of you are saying to yourself, well, you don't like the John Birch Society. They have sort of a bad reputation, I think mostly undeserved. Certainly not a perfect organization, no organization is, but whatever you think of the John Birch Society, they do deserve high marks for their belief in the, uh, in the literal interpretation of the Constitution. They believe that the Constitution was meant to be a document for all times, just as the Founding Fathers did, because human nature doesn't change. So I've played a definition of the neocons from the John Birch Society Uh, And I played it right before my discussion with Dimitri Speck. He's the author of The Gold Cartel for a reason. You see, if Nixon hadn't taken us off the gold standard in 1971, the neocons never could have received the nutrients they needed to grow. Because, after all, uh, wars are financed with money. And if the American taxpayer had to be taxed for each and every war that the American government or the neocons have forced the American government into engaging in, well, the American public simply wouldn't have put up with it. But because they don't really understand uh, the inflation that results and the taxes, uh, the silent taxes, as well as the increased taxes, because Americans really don't know how much we spend on military spending, they don't have to be taxed directly. It's just debt, and debt is growing very dramatically to a very great extent for the military-industrial complex to finance the neocons, And the uh, cartel, the banking cartel, is very much a part of this military-industrial complex that fuels the neocons. Well, at the same time, though, the parasitic nature of the neocons uh, is destroying the American uh, economic fiber and the military-industrial complex as a whole, including the bankers. Uh, and uh, the banking institutions that have, in fact, uh, are part of the gold cartel, are actually the gold cartel that we're going to listen to from Dimitri Speck in just a couple of minutes. Had it not been for Nixon taking us off the gold standard in 1971, we wouldn't be having this discussion today. The neocons would not have thrived as they have we would have a more balanced global geopolitical system, and we would not have uh, the kind of mess, the financial mess that we're in now. But as Dmitry Speck will explain, as and as explained in his book, The Gold Cartel, there is an end in sight, and uh, that is what we want to listen to what Dmitry has to say, because as the gold cartel finds uh, or nears its end, It's going to have a very dramatic influence on uh, how we invest our money and how we should invest our money and uh, what the dollar is going to look like in the future, if indeed it exists at all. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dimitri Speck to examine the gold cartel and reasons to believe that its days are numbered. Don't go away. I'll be right back.
4: Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt.
1: Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000 meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58 meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE market-listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex, and NYSE-listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dimitri Speck. He's the author of a book titled The Gold Cartel. Dimitri is responsible for the Stacey Commodity Fund that won the Hedge Fund Journal's award as Best European Commodity Fund, and his two investment funds, a stock fund and a commodity fund, have considerably outperformed the market since their inception. Dimitri is the founder and editor of the website Seasonal Charts. At seasonalcharts.com, where uh, the, he provides accurate daily seasonal charts uh, and uh, where they are illustrated there. He is a well known expert in precious metals investment analysis and has been interviewed for a number of investment letters and websites and, and has spoken at industry events on this very topic. Dimitri uh, also is a contributor and a consultant to the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. In fact, we've spoken many times to uh, Bill Murphy and uh, and Chris Powell and other members of GATA, and we are indebted to GATA for helping us understand uh, the gold manipulation scheme of which uh, Dimitri has also uh, had a, a great deal of influence in, in helping us understand. Dimitri is a, a quantitative asset manager, trading systems uh, developer, and gold market analyst, and he lives in Munich, Germany, specializes in pattern recognition of charts uh... and as i mentioned Dimitri wrote the book the gold cartel uh, government intervention on gold and the mega bubble and paper and what that means for your future and it was published in late 2013 really good to have you back again thank you for joining me Dmitry.
7: thank you very much for the inv- invitation it's a pleasure for me to talk with you to your listeners and to you all listeners uh, about the gold cutout.
3: Well, it's a pleasure to hear from you, and I, I can't say enough good about your book, The Gold Cartel, uh, because it is, it is so very well documented, and I might just mention uh, that Mark Faber calls it a very good and well-researched read, uh, and Professor Heinz Christian Hofka, uh, he's a former German Bundesbank director, said, and I quote, The Gold Cartel is a brisk, articulate, and convincing read. Even so, it remains extremely sound. It's a miracle." End of quote. So, uh, Dimitri, you've got uh, some highly acclaimed and highly respected people uh, who agree with my assessment of your book. Is that it's it's, it's very very good, and if uh, our listeners are at all serious about. Uh, the gold manipulation, and I think they should be, because as, I think, as you will hear in a few minutes, it is extremely important in terms of the manipulation of over, overall markets and the way a, a small ruling elite uh, are basically controlling so much of our lives. Uh, Dimitri, I'd like to get started, though. Uh, you know, we titled our our um, show today, Are the Gold Cartel's Days Numbered? Uh, in Is the dollar doomed, or is the dollar... are the dollar's days numbered, I guess is another way of putting that. And uh, so I'd like you to keep that in mind. We'd like to get your answer on that before we can uh, conclude our discussion today. But uh, before we get started, I might want to sort of play the devil's advocate a little bit here. Um, You know, in Chapter 3 in your book, you say gold is not a good investment. But in times of monetary instability, it can be. Uh, I'm just sort of paraphrasing you there. I, I think I have uh, your sentiment correct. There is it. Uh, do I have that right? Hello. Yes, Dimitri, did you hear me? Uh, chapter three in your book, you said gold is not a good investment, but in times of monetary instability, it can be. Did I? Uh, did I? Uh, do I f- phrase you correctly?
7: Um, gold is in the long run uh, just money. And compared to stocks and other investments in the long run, uh, it's, it's not a good investment. But it's a good investment in times uh, where the, the normal uh, is in danger. And uh, I'm quite sure that we are coming very close to such a period because um, the indebtedness of the world is quite high. And that means. Um, that gold is a better investment, better money uh, in this period for investors than than other money, of course.
3: Okay, so you're not so you're not calling gold a good investment. It's a good store of wealth, a good store of value, a better store of value that becomes very, very good as a store of wealth or value in times when uh, when the monetary system is in trouble. Yes, exactly
7: gold is in direct competition um, of of paper money of credit money because um, uh, it cannot be printed by governments it cannot be created by banks and on the other side it does not have a counterparty risk so it cannot go bankrupt and this is also the reason uh, finally why gold is being suppressed by the especially by the US government because uh, they don't want that the the, for the US
3: treasury is doing uh, too well. Okay, so I think this is why it's so important that people understand uh, that the gold market is suppressed, the price is suppressed, that it's controlled within certain parameters because uh, most people don't believe that or aren't focused on it, Dimitri. Would you agree with me that 99%, I don't know the percentage, but in New York, I think the percentage of people on Wall Street either don't believe that the gold market is manipulated or if they do believe it is manipulated, uh, they don't care because what, all they say is, look, you can go back to the 1990s. You had the Asian crisis, the Russian uh, long-term capital management crisis, and you had 2008, the 2009.
7: Um, for these. Um
3: you, you had all these crises, Dmitry, and yet the gold price hasn't really responded that dramatically. Isn't that evidence, in fact, that the, uh, uh, the gold is a barbaric relic? No, not at all, because the gold didn't
7: rise in, in this crisis because it has been suppressed. Yeah, especially in crisis, gold should look bad and should make a bad performance uh, that the investors stay away and go back into bonds and even stocks. Yeah, You could see it in the Asian crisis. You could see it in the financial crisis. There was a border of $1,000 um, pounds. You could see it in the Euro crisis where they did not allow to rise gold above 2,000. These are simply levels they want to suppress uh, gold, especially in times of crisis, because uh, imagine if in the euro crisis the price of gold uh, would have exploded. Many people would have thought uh, that they don't have control anymore uh, uh, over the money, and this is the reason why gold does fall in crisis. It's simply because of suppression and not because of any other reason.
3: Okay. Well, there are skeptics out there. Certainly, uh, I I would say people have been conned into disbelieving any claims of manipulation. Although clearly, on the front page of today's uh, Saturday's Times, uh, the headlines were Barclays fined 26 million for traders' gold rigging. So clearly, uh, you know, people are starting to realize that there's something to there's some manipulation of the gold markets. Uh, but, in fact, um, that is, is just one pa- small part of the overall manipulation of the gold markets, I believe. But let, let's explore some of the evidence, just a couple of the uh, of the bits of wisdom that is in the gold cartel book, uh, if you don't mind. Dimitri, I'd like to ask you, in Chapter 4 of your book, Strange Intraday Behavior of Gold, can you talk about some of the strange intraday behavior of gold from Chapter 4 in your book?
7: Um generally, you can say that interventions appear at specific times of the day more frequently uh, than in other times. And if you make just an intraday average, uh, you can see that before the gold suppression started in August 1993, the intraday average is just a normal intraday average as it exists also for other markets. And after that, you could see that there are specific times of the day where the price drops quite frequently. And the main, by the way, was the afternoon fix where you could see really a drop in the average. And I already said it in 2002, the statistical proof that something is wrong with the PM fix. So more than 10 years before the authorities are looking after the PM fix manipulation. But it's not only the afternoon fix. It's also, uh, for instance, the closing in some years it's, uh, of New York comics trading, in some years it disappeared, or the opening, also the AM fix, and in silver, the silver fixing, where you can see clearly drops. And it's connected with um, this um, drops. It says no other reasons, because it did not exist before the suppression started in 1993. And for silver, for instance, in the uh, in the year before, we saw the top in 2011 at about 50. When silver did rise, we also did not see any anomaly in the intraday chart. But in the year after this, when the uh, when the silver price did drop, uh, we again saw the statistical anomaly. That means <clears throat> that uh, these anomalies, the statistical, are connected with suppression and don't have any other reason.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, I might just tell our listeners that on page 29 of your book, you show a, a, a very interesting chart. I found it to be very interesting. It sort of backs up what you just said. From the years of 1993, which you indicate was a key year in terms of the way gold was manipulated, up through 2012, the average price of gold uh, fell very dramatically right at that PM fixed time period, right? Exactly. This is the...
7: Um, this, uh Gold is suppressed a lot uh, of uh, intraday shocks. These are kind of waterfalls. Suddenly the price drops by $10, $30 within minutes or even seconds. Yeah. And these uh, shocks come from the comics. They come from the future markets and they appear much more frequent uh, in the afternoon fix than at at, at any other date, time of the day. And this is uh, not like in the LIBOR scandal, and it's not like in this case of Barclays, just because of making a little bit more money at a reference price, at the benchmark through other products, like it was now in the Barclays option case. It is a general idea of suppression of the gold price through the comics, the shocks, and they just appear more frequent uh, at the PM fixing because it's a benchmark. Uh, this is a much more general manipulation, not just to make some money with options. Uh, the general idea of this manipulation is to suppress the competitor of the U.S. dollar, and to um, to improve through this the selling of treasuries, U.S. treasuries, to investors to other central banks and so on. So we have a much more bigger story behind uh, this uh, gold called manipulation
3: okay so what you're saying is that investors people around the world shouldn't be uh... confused by the recent discussions of barclays uh... where the gold trader uh... was supposed to be rigging the fix or uh, driving the fix or or manipulating the fixed price so that he didn't have to pay out on some options that in fact what we're talking about here is something much bigger than that do i have that right
7: yeah because it's not just making a little bit money a little bit compared <laughs> to our income But it's generally the idea to suppress the competitor of the U.S. dollar of the U.S. treasuries. So this is a much bigger story, and it's backed by the U.S. government. So this is also why it does not come to light officially.
3: Okay, well, let me ask you this, Dimitri. This is another devil's advocate kind of question, a skeptic question. If there's a pattern of the London fix being lower and and the price in New York being lower, couldn't people go in and buy the gold, buy gold at the London PM fix, turn around and sell it the next day when it's higher? Uh, couldn't you do that on a regular basis and arbitrage it, and thereby cause the price uh, and and the arbitrage then would take away that that discrepancy uh, or, or price differential between the PM and the AM fix?
7: And um, these patterns are not absolutely stable; they change by time. Uh-huh. Yeah, for instance, these drops uh, in the PM fixing were very strong in 2008, yeah, in, in, mm-hmm. in gold. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. In
7: 2013, for instance, last year, we also see the PM fix as a mark in the intraday chart, but with another behavior. This is simply, um, these interventions or manipulations are not simply done by a computer with always the same <laughs> pattern. Yeah, They change uh-huh. by time. For instance, this comics pattern—that at the comics open and the comics close—that we could see there something disappeared uh, almost at the same time when the comic started with Globex. So these things change because mm-hmm. you must consider that any manipulation of a price can be done best, by the way, when when the trading um, is is the volume is thin when there is not mm-hmm. a lot of volume. So we could also see several waterfalls. For instance, on Monday morning, very early, in, uh, when only there was a thin trading in Australia. The other thing is the benchmarks, of course, where the where the people and other contracts are uh, based on. Also, these are uh, intervention goals. But intervention generally can happen at every time, and uh, so uh, there is no strict rule, and you cannot simply make money out of this.
3: Now, who would these players be? Because uh, I, I hear what you're saying, Dimitri. You're saying that they hit the markets when the markets are thin, right? They hit the markets when the markets are thin. But uh, it's my understanding that there's huge volume that come into the COMEX, for example, and it's paper, it's paper trading on the short side uh, that uh, that is that is really has a, such a profound effect on the price of gold quoted in New York. So, I mean, it must be a handful of people that can play with these kind of big numbers. Would you agree with that?
7: Yeah, there must be some people behind. There must be a lot of money behind in case there must be also some gold behind because gold is still a physical asset. Yeah, but the gold manipulation is different from any manipulation, for instance, in in normal commodities like crude oil or something like this, because if you... the price of crude oil would drop, then the um the customers would consume and buy more crude oil. In case of gold, gold is an investment, a store of wealth. If the price drops, the 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 market participants disappear. You have less investors. And this is why this intervention can can work. yeah, so you you must be a big player. You can do it through the comics market. But in case you also need some physical gold, which can come, of course, from the U.S. government, which has Mm -hmm. enough gold.
3: Yeah. Do we know how much the U.S. government has, though? We haven't been audited since 1952 or the Eisenhower years. Are you convinced in your mind that all the gold that the U.S. Treasury says it has, it has? Or has it been leased out, as some believe? I
7: guess... um it's a good question because uh, I also was not allowed to enter Fort Knox. <laughs> yeah. It's simply, uh, as you said, there is no added audit. There are some hints uh, that uh, physical gold um, was leased out from from the U.S. government. But these hints are more than 10 years old, and they were in the books, um, uh, of, uh, in several books you c- could find it. Yeah, this is quite difficult to figure out. Yeah, but uh, I guess that the, the leasing of gold does not play this big role anymore in the gold manipulation as it did in the late 90s yeah this is still, uh, important for understanding uh, in the late 90s uh, the leasing of gold was the major reason that gold did not uh, rise above 400 at the time and that did even drop to 250. But now we have much higher price level of gold, currently 1,200, yeah, it dropped today, 60 or so. So under these circumstances, the leasing of gold does not play this big role anymore. But of course, in critical times, I guess in 2008, this was the case, there comes also several hundred tons through gold leasing into the market.
3: Hmm. Well, this um, with the f- few minutes that we have left here, I'd like you perhaps to go through, Dmitri, a, a brief history of the different phases of gold manipulation. It didn't just start in 1993. Uh, could you go over? Uh, I think you could go back further than 1993. Gold manipulation by the United States government. Uh, how, give us a brief history. When did? When do you think it began? 1913, when the Fed was created, or mm-hmm. when did it begin?
7: Not 1913, there's always, uh, over the entire modern history of money, there is this fight against paper-based money, mainly to finance the government. governments much easier compared to, to uh, gold and silver. Also in, in France in the uh, 1790s, for instance, another period of history because the government uh, prefers always to pay by money, by paper money and not by, by gold and silver. This is a simple background. And this was also the background in the 1960s and 70s then. The U.S. wanted to finance its deficit uh, by 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 debt, by U.S. Treasuries, and so they tried to get rid of gold, to suppress the gold, like they did in the 70s, they did want, didn't want a new gold standard anymore. In the 80s, we had a new situation with high real rates. There was no need for suppression of gold. But then in 1993, the need started again because inflation fear started. This is, uh, in very short terms, the history, the background of of this ongoing manipulation of gold, the suppression of gold.
3: Okay, so… the question of the day is, are the you know, are the gold cartel's days numbered? Uh, is the gold cartel going to come to an end, And if so, what will cause it, that to happen?
7: The gold cartel, like it works currently, will come to an end, and it will be caused by by, yeah, by by the bursting of the credit bubble, which is currently at two hundred and fifty percent or so worldwide. The credit level against the world GDP that's much higher than in the 50s and 60s. This will burst, so the the paper claims will lose um, uh, as value, real value, and uh, through when this happens, gold will rise much higher than it uh, than it is currently, and uh, this will be the end of the current gold cartel, of course.
3: So what you're saying is debt is growing, and we we talk about it all the time on this show, debt is growing much more rapidly than GDP. It's growing almost exponentially. If you look at the U.S. debt anyway, it's growing like a hockey stick. Uh, At the same time, income, even measured by the United States, I think, questionable measurements of GDP, because I don't think they fully take into consideration the inflation that we have, it's growing very, very slowly, not nearly as rapidly as debt. So what you're saying, if I understand you correctly, Dimitri, is you think the system will break down as a whole. The global system, perhaps, will break down, and then the U.S. dollar uh, monetary system will have to be restructured.
7: There will be a kind of new money in future because the debt, that level is much too high. It will be in real terms at least, I guess, 50% lower in some time in the future, maybe a few years. My guess it will be, it will happen through inflation and then we will have a new financial system. Nobody mm-hmm. knows how it will look like, but gold will be in this process the best store of value.
3: Well, so you believe that gold will play some role in a new monetary system?
7: This is very likely, but not true. Yeah, yeah. Nobody of us knows the future, but I don't see an alternative. It will not be the euro, it will not be the yen, it will not be the China's enemy. So.
3: <laughs> to what extent do you think geopolitics may force the Western world to go to a new system?
7: Geopolitics play a big role in this game by the way <laughs> that's that's clear and uh the the main currency is always also the the, the currency of the biggest power on earth. was it great britain in the past or now the us but uh, still the us is uh, military leading and this will continue so
3: um yeah So a lot depends on the United States military, is that what you're saying? And as long as the military can be financed, the United States dollar may remain the world's reserve currency?
7: The dollar will play also a big role in the future because of the strong military power of the U.S., which will not disappear in a few years.
3: Right. Right. Well, I suppose as an American, that's that's somewhat good news uh, uh, to hear that because the last thing we really want to do is see our currency... Uh, destroyed overnight, uh, as happened in uh, hyper ge- hyperinflationary Germany, uh, the country that you live in and And I guess you don't you don't see that as any any great prospect and some people do, but you you're not of that mindset at this time.
7: Hyperinflation usually don't come from uh, come in very extraordinary uh, situations like after a war or when uh, a state disappears so or things like that. But mm-hmm. I see a real uh, loss of, uh, uh, of wealth in real terms. And this might be inflationary. Uh, this okay. is always likely but not hyperinflation. This I don't oh, see at the moment.
3: Okay, Dimitri, unfortunately we're up. Uh, our time is up. Uh, I want to get back to you and talk to you again sometime in the near future, but we do have to wrap it up for now. So that, that's pretty much it for the first hour of today's show. I want to thank Tacey Trump and Matt Widener Uh, for making the show logistically possible, but there is a second hour at jtaylormedia.com. As Dimitri just talked about manipulation of the gold price, uh, at jtaylormedia, you can go there immediately to hear an interview from usawatchdog.com. Dr. Paul Craig Roberts explains how he believes the Fed is lying about tapering. In fact, he believes that money is being uh, recycled back to buy the U.S. Treasuries. By way of Belgium through the back door. So I think this is a very important discussion. I think it's related to what Dimitri just talked to us about. Uh, and to keep public officials from straying too far towards gold as money, Abby Martin, an anchor for RT, explains how uh, honest questions—her honest questions of Rand Paul—are are being are not being permitted by the establishment, and how candidates uh, who look to uh, ridicule uh, and collar the truth. Uh, as Rand Paul has a very interesting discussion with Abby Martin um, and I think also Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, Abby Martin was really threatened by Rand Paul when she asked how in the world can you support Mitt Romney when he is clearly in the hip pocket of the Bilderberg, so very interesting stuff, go right now to jaytaylormedia.com go to the uh, podcast button click there and you can listen to these interviews in the second hour of today's show until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you
1: Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000-meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58-meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE market-listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex, and NYSE-listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol cnmxf
4: caden resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in mexico the company's flagship el barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in mexico the company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt.